Gospels, please. I want to personally also invite you to come out tonight, six o'clock. These guys are these guys are fantastic, aren't they? Two, these two guys, two young men, blessed to have them come back through here. We can come out and show our support for them and encouragement for them. Talk about a faith journey, stepping out in faith as the Lord is leading them and using their talents to bring Him glory. So come on out tonight. We have any Cowboys or Giants fans? Okay, first of all, then repent, and then. <laughs> Just tape the game tonight. Just record it. Just, just TiVo it. Come on out. You can watch that when you get home later. <laughs> All right, Matthew. Chapter 14. If you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, you might th be thinking, wait a second, we're at the end of 15. And you're right, but as I mentioned, when we were going through chapter 14, we were going to come back to look at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 when we got to the end of chapter 15 and the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000. Because we're going to see there's many parallels, many similarities when we look at these miracles. As a matter of fact, some believe, some believe that they're the same miracle. They are not. They clearly are not. These are two separate incidents that are recorded for us. The feeding of the 5,000 that's recorded for us in chapter 14 is actually the only miracle prior to the resurrection of Jesus that is recorded in all four Gospels. And when we look at that in more depth today, in more detail as we go through it, I'll be referencing the other gospel accounts to kind of paint the, the total picture as we look at that and draw application for ourselves today. So let's begin. We'll look at, we'll read through both accounts in, in their totality in Matthew, and then we'll come back and look at them in more detail. Uh, verse 13 of Matthew 14. Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat, to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets, there were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. So we mentioned estimates of in excess of 10,000 total people. Well, let's look ahead now. Chapter 15, verse 29. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there, and large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. 
And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven and a few small fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came into the region of Magadan. Well, as we begin to take a look at this, I first of all, I want to put up a map of the area and just to kind of give you uh, an idea of the surrounding, what, what is going on there. Here is Capernaum. That's where Jesus' home base is with relation here on the Sea of Galilee. And that's where in our story in, in chapter 14, he's, he's taking off from this area. And when it says crossing the Sea of Galilee, he's crossing about right there. So that helps us get, paint a little bit of a picture as to how the people could see Jesus and then run around and get to the other side and meet him before he even lands. That's the feeding of the 5,000. Now, when we look at the story of feeding of the 4,000, as we just read in chapter 15, it says, leaving there. And if you'll remember last week, we talked about how Jesus went from his area here in Capernaum and went into Gentile territory, this area here, where he met the Syrophoenician woman in the area of Tyre and Sidon. And Mark's gospel account tells us in the feeding of the 4,000 that they left from this region here by way of Sidon, circled around the north side, and ended up along the Sea of Galilee here and then into the Decapolis, which is you see here on the map, which is a Greek word speaking of 10 cities, 10 Gentile cities. So we see first, the first miracle that we look at, the feeding of the 5,000 taking place in Jewish territory in Israel, in the area that is there, his audience there primarily, if not all Jews. The second miracle taking place in Gentile territory, primarily, if not all Gentiles, that he is, that he is ministering to there. Now, one of the other points that I want to make before we move away from the map and get into our study, we'll take this verse by verse, look at it. But if you'll remember, a few, several chapters ago, a miracle that took place right there told us that Jesus, he crossed the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and that, that was when he was asleep in the boat. When he got to the other side, remember what happened. The man came out of the tombs, the demon-possessed man, the man with the legion of demons within him, and Jesus cast the demons into the pigs. They ran down, the, ran down and drowned in the Sea of Galilee. And what did Jesus tell the man? He said, go. Go back to where you're from and tell them what I did for you. Go around the surrounding region and it tells us that he went sharing that, the message of who Jesus is and what he had done in that region. Never underestimate the power of your testimony. Imagine these people as they heard and they saw and they said, Jesus did that for you? I remember who you were. You were that crazy guy down on the beach, you know? And Jesus did that for you? Jesus comes back now, and as it tells us, we just read in Matthew's account, many multitudes were bringing people to his feet to have him healed. What an amazing testimony that that man shared, and we see the effects of it. Well, let's go back now, chapter 14. Let's take a look in detail, and I'll reference a few things to the other miracle of the feeding of the 4,000 as we go through, but we see many similarities 
in the two miracles from there. It says in verse 13, now when Jesus heard about John, that's John the Baptist, he heard about his execution, as Herod had him beheaded, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. We see this word compassion used here. We see it used in chapter 15. If you read the other accounts of these miracles taking place, that word compassion comes out. And we see that used over and over again as Jesus sees the crowd and it says that he has compassion for them. Compassion, Mark's account tells us that it was, he has compassion for them because he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. He sees their desperate situation. And when it says he sees the crowd, don't think that he just sees a sea of humanity. No, he sees the individuals in the crowd. He connects with each one individually. And he's overcome with compassion for them. A sheep without a shepherd. He understands their desperate situation and it breaks his heart. Yes, the physical suffering and the pain that they're going through, but far greater than that, he connects again, a sheep without a shepherd, their desperate situation, they are lost spiritually. They have chased after trying to please God through, through religious structure and come away broken and, and feeling more, more helpless and hopeless in their situation, and his heart breaks for them. How they've chased after the things of the world and come away empty time and time again, and again lost, and as Mark tells us, like sheep without a shepherd, compassion, it tells us that he has for them. It says that they brought them and they laid him at his feet and he healed them, but it goes past the physical healing. In Matthew's account here of the feeding of the 4,000, it says that they stuck around. They, they were there for three days. And Mark tells us that they were te- Jesus was teaching them. And they were, they were hearing the teachings of him and they were amazed and they were, they were blown away by this man and, and the things that he was sharing with them. He was available to them. It says that he sat down. He spent three days. He didn't say, all right, closing up shop. He was available as they continued to kept, kept, and kept coming. He was approachable. They were coming right up to his feet. Our job is to bring people to the feet of Jesus. And that's what they were doing. And he was healing and he was blessing. He connected with them individually. It tells us in in the one account that we read in in Mark's account of the feeding of the 4,000, it tells us that he said, you can't send them away. They've been here three days and some have come a tremendous distance. Some have traveled a long way to get here. He knows individually what each person was going through. And if you're here today and you have been on a long, dry journey... You've been in a difficult stretch in your life, and it just seems to be going on and on. Jesus knows, he understands, and he has compassion. We can't forget that some of these details can slip away from us pretty easily. It says, it it told us that he's trying to get away by himself. We know that Jesus is Fully God, yes, but he's fully man. The Bible is clear that he, that he felt the same things that we feel. 
He went through the same things that we go through, yet was without sin. He felt fatigue. He felt tired. And no doubt as he's going away and feeling the emotions of the death of his friend as he's trying to just get away for some time, but ministry shows up, and again, his heart then breaks for them. He has compassion for them. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, it is not this way among you, speaking to his disciples, speaking about lording authority over others. He says, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus realized, again, that, that that is his heart, his compassion. We need to understand, I guess, the point I want to drive home before we move off of this is there is a huge difference between general concern and gripping compassion. A general concern that says, man, I'm sorry about what you're going through. And a gripping compassion that says, what can I do to help? The difference is the action that is involved. And we need to see with the eyes of Jesus, not just a mass multitude, but the individual. See with the eyes of Jesus. Love with the heart of Jesus. Moved with compassion. And serve with the attitude of Jesus. That attitude that is not placing ourselves above others, but placing ourselves as a servant of others. As Paul said in Philippians, that is the attitude that we are to have, the attitude that Jesus had, that while being God, he stepped out of that, that heaven and became a servant, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I love a song by the band, it's Big Daddy Weave is the name of the band, but the words of the song is when I hear it, it, it challenges me every time. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful prayer. It says, bring your love to life inside of me. Why don't you break my heart till it moves my hands and feet? For the hopeless and the broken, for the ones that don't know that you love them, bring your love to life inside of me. That's a prayer. And if we mean that prayer and God answers that prayer, it will move us to compassion, to action. Well, we, speak, we see his compassion, verse 14, verse 15. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late, so send the crowd away that they may go into the village and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. Again, disciples, no doubt, tired. It's getting into the mid-afternoon. The day is, is, is coming to the point where you say, okay, we got to start making some provisions. And with their general concern, they say to Jesus, you probably better send them on into town because if they don't get into town pretty quick, the stores are going to close and they're not going to get anything to eat. And again, Jesus driving the point home and his compassion home saying, we're going to move past concern and we're going to move into the next phase. Don't send them away. You give them something to eat. We get a, a little more information on this exchange in John's account. 
John chapter 6, verse 5 says, Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for so, so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew that what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. Interesting. John tells us that Jesus has this exchange with Philip to test him. To test him. We need to understand a very important point here. The difference between testing and tempting. The Bible is clear that God does not tempt anyone. But he tests us often. See, temptation is the enemy or our flesh or the world, tempting, trying to draw us into sin. Testing, on the other hand, is God doing a work in us to grow us, to change us more and more into him, his image. And here we see a test, a test that is given to Philip. We need to understand a few things about the tests that come. No test will come against us that is something that we cannot pass in his strength. God will often test us way beyond our own capabilities, but he will never test us beyond what we are able to endure in his strength, in his power. He doesn't want us to fail. I know some of you, some of you kids, and we all felt that way when we were your age in school too, that your teachers want you to fail. I know some of you feel that way. It's not true. We could feel that way at times. And sometimes the tests that we face, we can say, man, God, you're just setting me up to fail. No, that's not. That's not it at all. His desire for us is to grow. He's not testing us so that he can learn about what we're made of, so that he can discover more about us. No, he knows, he knows all about us. Our testing is not to reveal us to him. Our testing is to reveal us to us. So we can understand where we are in our faith walk as these faith tests come. We could see in this test, and we look at Philip, and, and it, it, we, we could so, so say, you know, Philip, can't you remember all that you've seen? Philip was in the boat both times when Jesus was asleep, and he woke up and he calmed the storm. Philip was there. He was, in the, he was in the boat the other storm when Jesus came out walking on the water and Peter got out and walked. Philip watched all of that. Philip has seen all of these miracles take place. All of the things that we've talked about, Philip was an eyewitness. Yet when it comes to this question, what are we going to do? Where are we going to buy this bread? His response is, looking at the problem. Man, a year's wages, Lord, wouldn't be enough to take care of all of this. It's hopeless. And again, we could be so quick to say, Philip, where's your faith, bro? When we go through the same things, don't we? God is always faithful. He has never let us down. And yet when the test comes, sometimes it's like, oh, God, are you around? Are, are you going to abandon me? This is too much. One last thing about tests God is never looking for our ideas or suggestions. <laughs> That's not why Jesus asked Philip. I don't know what to do. What do you think, Philip? Anybody got any ideas? That's not it. 
it tells us that Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. This test comes, a faith test to Philip, just like the faith tests that come our way. Jesus already knows what he plans on doing in our situation, the things that are coming our way. And really, what he wants is not the response, again, that Philip gets, you know, what are we going to do with what we have? No, it's really the response that Jesus wants as these faith tests come. Jesus, I don't know what you're going to do, but I am like stoked beyond anything I can imagine because this is impossible and I can't wait to see what you're going to do. That's the faith response. That's the faith response he's looking for. And I'll tell you, there is no more exciting place to be that when we can finally get to those places, it says, man, I don't see any way to fix this. I don't, this doesn't make any sense to me, but Lord, you're leading in this, and I know you're calling me in a step of obedience to step out and walk in faith in this, and I can't wait. When we take that step, there's no more exciting place to be. John's account of this exchange continues in John chapter 6, verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? John tells us where the five loaves and two fish came from. Without his record, he's the only one who tells us it was a little boy that was there amongst these 10,000 people. And that, that blesses me. That blesses me to know that because in that we see something really, really cool, the faith of a child, right? I mean, I, I love that because you can almost see this little boy. They're talking about all of the disciples. What are we going to do? We don't have any food. What are we going to do? And the little boy goes, here's my lunch. I'll share. You know, just, just love that, right? And the, faith, the faith of a child. Not questioning. It's Philip, or I'm sorry, Andrew unfortunately says, here, this little boy's got this lunch. Not that it can do much with this problem. Wasn't the boy that said that. And, and here's another little thing. Just think through this. The Bible doesn't go this far in the story, but just think through this. Can you imagine the boy going home and telling his mom that night? Mom, you're never going to guess what happened today. <laughs> Remember that lunch? I was on my way out. I was running out the door and you said, don't forget your lunch. And remember, I came back in and I got it. You're never going to guess what happened. I'm hanging out. I found this whole group of people. I followed them and they were there. And then Jesus showed up on the, on the beach and uh, started healing people, all sorts of stuff. But everybody's hungry. They didn't have enough food. And so I gave them my lunch and Jesus fed 10,000 people with my lunch. Now, what's mom's reaction, right? Son, what have I told you about lying, right? <laughs> about exaggerating, right? Moms, don't ever underestimate what you send out the door with your children in the morning. Grandma, mom, don't underestimate those things before you send them off to school. The pray, to pray over them. That little, the, the Bible verse that you share with them before they go out. Don't ever underestimate those things. That mom that morning had no idea what it was. And so often we don't. But God takes those little things and he does miraculous things through the faith of a child. Well, one other character here we see Andrew. Andrew, Andrew's the one who finds 
the boy. Andrew's the one who went and got his brother Peter and brought him to Jesus. Andrew is a get-it-done guy. Andrew is a guy who, who hears of something that needs to get done, and he goes and gets it done. But you know what's also awesome about Andrew? I love this in this. Simon Peter's brother, John, felt that he needed to explain who Andrew is. Because why? Because Andrew's not the guy that gets the recognition. Andrew's the guy who does it behind the scenes. Andrew's the guy who's in the shadow of his brother all the time. But without Andrew doing, the, doing this other type of work, other ministry's not going to take place. And I highlight that because Calvary Chapel Surprise has a lot of Andrews in it. There's a lot of people that serve in this church that you don't know their name or their face. But you'd sure know if they didn't do their job. You'd sure know if they didn't do the ministry that God's uniquely called and equipped them to do. We have a lot of Andrews. But we need more Andrews. (laughs) We all need the heart of an Andrew that says, you know what? I'll do whatever God calls me to do, and I don't need to be recognized for it. There's huge blessing in that. Well, verse 18, they're talking of the five loaves and the, and the two fish. Jesus said, bring them here to me. Now, it's interesting when we, when we look at Mark's account of this, Jesus says, you know, kind of what got this whole thing started. Jesus says, how many loaves do we have? And then he says this, go look. Go look. Don't just answer the question, go look. How many loaves do we have? Go look. Go do an inventory of what it is that we have. And as Jesus does this faith walk with each one of us, these faith tests with each one of us, he says the same thing to us. We look at the, 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 the problems around us. We look at the world around us, and Jesus says the same things to us. What do you have? Do an inventory. What do you have? What gifts and talents do you have? Bring them to me. That is the simple command. Go look, bring it here. He does not say, analyze it. He does not not say, assess what you have and assess the situation He says, what do you have? Bring it to me. Because if we assess it, if we analyze it, we'll we'll respond like Andrew did. Well, this is what I have, but what is that compared to this problem, compared to the massive size of all of this that is going on? What is that? I can't do anything. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I mean, all I have is this. Jesus says, bring it to me. Bring it to me. So often we can worry about what's going to happen there or what, you know, all of these different things. Jesus just said, what do you have? Bring it to me. And he says, bring it all to me. There's five loaves and and two fish. He says, bring them to me. Bring it all. If we hold back, we are losing the blessing. If we say, okay, I got five loaves and two fish. Jesus says, bring it here. Okay, here's four loaves and a fish because I got to hold on to some for me. That's not trust. That's not faith. Jesus says, bring it all. He says, I want all of you. I want everything that you have. Give it to me. Trust me. I will take care of you. Give it all to me. Trust me. We give all of what we are 
even though in the whole grand scheme of things, it might not seem like much, but in the hands of Jesus, as it says in Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that it works within him. And look what happens when they just simply bring these, these seemingly insignificant resources to Jesus. It says, ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. Again, some details that we don't see in this account that are in the others. It says that he ordered them to sit down. He told the disciples to go and break the group, 10,000 people, up into groups of 50s and 100s. God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. So he says, here's what we're going to do. First thing, as we're stepping out in faith here, we're going to break the group up into groups of 50s and 100s. And can I, again, imagine the logistics of that. 10,000 people, 12 guys being sent out to, to break them up into these groups. And not that we would have anyone in this room that would have this type of reaction. I would imagine that some, as they're trying to get them into these groups, were like, I don't want to be in this group. I want to be in that group. I don't like the people in this group. My friends are over there. I, why can't I be in that group? Why do I have to sit in a group of 50 anyway? Like I said, not that there'd be anybody like that in this room, but there are people like that. And the disciples simply are saying, I don't know. I don't know. But you know what? Jesus said it, so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to move in that direction because I don't know what he's going to do next, but I got a feeling it's going to be something pretty awesome because usually when he's around, awesome things happen. So, so let's just do that. Let's, and that's part of faith. Going on with step one, not knowing what he's going to do next. But let's break into these groups, because he said so, and let's move out. After they've done that, he takes, he blesses, he multiplies, and he gives. He takes. <laughs> he takes what is offered and he always does. When we bring our lives to him, it doesn't matter what we think it is. We don't, it doesn't matter what we think of our offering. If we bring our life and we just obediently lay it down before him, he receives it. He takes it. And then he blesses it. And when Jesus blesses something, hang on. <laughs> Hang on, because things are about to, get, about to get amazing. Because after he blesses, he multiplies. That's how his math works. He doesn't add things. He multiplies things. And he miraculously multiplies things beyond what we could imagine. This miracle that takes place here is is wild in any, in any stretch of the imagination, but Jesus didn't change things into bread. It's not like he, he commanded and he broke, and when he said it, all of a sudden, boom, all of the rocks around became bread. That's not what happened. This is a miracle of creation that we are going to see. Things that weren't there before, now there. And it says that he gave, he kept giving. 
It wasn't like he said, all right, everybody bow your heads, close your eyes, and then he said the blessing. When he said, amen, everybody looks up and there's this mountain of food. That's not what happened. It says, and we, Luke and Mark, both when they describe it, it's that he's continually breaking the bread and giving it to them. Continually breaking and handing it to them. Breaking off, breaking off, breaking off, handing it to the disciples. And they're, and they're going out. As it's distributed, it's multiplied. What, it, what, it, what an amazing thing what, to, to understand this. And again, imagine the eye contact as the disciples are walking back for their next basket load. It's still happening? He's st- and, and taking this out, 12 waiters for 10,000 people. Taking and dropping a basket off and going back and getting another one. And as, as fast as they can get it, it keeps on multiplying and taking it out. And as they're walking by, hey, we need some more bread. Okay, I'll be right back. And I'll just boom. And on and on and on. It keeps going and going and going. Where God guides, God provides. He multiplies. And so often, we can get bogged down in the analysis up front. Well, what about this? And what about that? And you know what? What if this happens? And what if if this this takes place? And all of this kind of stuff. We have to think through every possible. No, we don't. No, we don't. We are to be good stewards. Absolutely. God has entrusted us with, with many things. But he has been, he is the giver, and we simply give it back. What are you going to do with this? What do you want to do with this? And as we move forward in obedience, he multiplies, and he takes care of it all. We need to understand that we are not the producers. We are the distributors. That's our job. We don't make it. We pass it out. And when we understand this this. This concept, I've, I've talked of this before, but it's so important. I think that once we finally get this, not only, not only does it make a whole lot more sense, but there's so much more joy involved. That when we give to someone, when we step out and we bless someone, or we give to something, a work of God, we see that and, and understand that that was never ours to begin with. When we are in obedience, giving to someone else, we, we understand, we are closing the connection that God had preordained. That money was never ours. That gift was never ours. That time was never ours. It was always meant for them, and God entrusted it to us to do that. And how cool is that? That the creator of the universe, who set these things in motion way before, way before us, chooses to let us play a part in his eternal plan? There's way more, way more joy in that than the momentary pride that comes, I did that. Just think, Almighty God chooses to let us play a part. Tying, tying again, all of this together as we see this come together in obedience, giving what they had. In obedience, stepping out with not knowing what's going to happen next and then just distributing as he gives, it says that all ate and all were satisfied. There wasn't one person that said, man, I wish I had a little more fish. Where's that bread guy? Come to Jesus hungry. You remain with him. You will always 
be satisfied. Always. There's no other place that you can ever go to have that guarantee. As a matter of fact, you try to find that anywhere else, you will only be disappointed. God says, Isaiah 55, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Now, he's not speaking there about literal bread, but he's saying, why is it that you chase around everywhere else, spending all of your resources, your time, your energy, your money, trying to find satisfaction in a place you were never created to receive it in? We were created to be satisfied only in him. We won't find it anywhere else. So why would you do that? When, he says, listen carefully to me, eat what is good, delight yourself in abundance. That's his desire, is that we delight ourselves in abundance, but we have to know where to go, and that's to him. And we will always, always, always be satisfied. We will never be left wanting. Lastly, it tells us in this story that there were 12 baskets full left. Jesus doesn't waste anything. He said, go pick up the the pieces. Twelve baskets full. Interesting, that word basket there that is used is is the word for kind of a small pouch, a basket that you would carry with you, almost like a lunchbox. The little boy probably actually had the five loaves and two fish in this type of basket that he was bringing with him. Small basket containing like the size of a meal. There's 12 left over, not 13, not 11, 12. Jesus takes care of those who did the work too, who set aside and, and, and went out and did all of that. And again, driving home the principle. They could have been stuck there and saying, like they did initially, Lord, would you just send them away so they can go into town, take care of themselves, and then we can go find something to eat. Jesus says, Chapter 6, Matthew, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We simply walk in obedience We give all that we have to him. And what does he do? He blesses, he multiplies, and he gives it back. (laughs) We distribute, we give. It's this process as it goes. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. I'll take care of the rest. Seek the kingdom. Twelve baskets left over. The other story, as we saw in chapter 15, there's seven baskets, seven large baskets, interesting, that the word for basket there, totally different word. That word for that basket is a big like laundry type basket. A basket that's big enough to hold a man. It's the same word that's used as the basket that Paul got into in the book of Acts and they lowered him down so that he could escape out. That's the basket and seven of those full of leftovers. Now many try to draw connections with seven being the number of completion and all of that type of stuff. And I don't want to go there. Don't have time to. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying I don't, don't have time to dig into it. The Bible doesn't tell us that. We're going to see what Jesus says about 
the baskets left over in a couple of weeks as we continue. He addresses that again with his disciples, but fascinating. And again, he tells them to pick it up. He doesn't say, let the birds clean up the mess. Just pick it up because nothing is wasted in God's economy. Nothing. No, no situation, no trial, no test, no time in desolate place is wasted. And notice the people's reaction. It tells us that they glorified the God in Israel. That's, that's key in verse 31 of chapter 15. They glorified the God of Israel because, remember, these aren't Israelites. They glorify the God of Israel because they see what is being done. They see who Jesus is because people brought them to Jesus. And they see him and they glorify the God of Israel, which is huge because they realize that their gods, the things that they've been chasing and going after, can't help them. But the God of Israel, the true and living God. John, in his gospel in chapter 6, as he closes out the miracle, it says that the people were crying out that this truly must be the Messiah, the prophet that is to come into the world. They recognize, they give glory again to the Father. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. All glory goes to him. All glory. Again, we are not light producers. We are light reflectors. We are not the producers. We're the distributors. All glory goes to God. Can you imagine? I would imagine that more than one person, when they brought the basket out, said, thank you. And I would imagine every single time they said, Maybe it's Jesus doing this. I'll be right back and running back up to grab another basket. All glory goes to him. He's the one who gives to us. We simply give our life back to him. Let your light shine. Our lights shine as, again, we reflect his light. What gets in the way of our reflecting light is if something, is if the world or something gets in the way of the source of the light. And we simply reflect, bringing people to Jesus. If you are in a dry place, if you're in that desolate time, know that Jesus meets you there. He went out of his way to go meet those people in that desolate place. And he wants to do a miracle there. Will you trust him? Again, nothing goes to waste in his economy. Lean on him. Trust in him. Look to him. He won't let you down. It may take some time because he has a work he's doing in you. But he will never leave you. Let's pray.